for the most part, we start, we start, we debuted our second property ever and we didn't have money for it. So I don't know if we would have qualified or not. Thinking back, maybe we would have. We didn't have the funds. And you're listening to the Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Hello, Right Club Nation. It's Laurel Simmons here. Before we get started, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Have you checked out our online community yet? I really hope you do because our online community is a place where you can find lots of education, training, and information about real estate investing and about general business. Plus, it's a great place to network with like-minded people. We have interactive forums, all our podcast episodes, and tons of videos about a wide range of topics. It's free to join, so be sure to come grow with us at therightclub.com. Now, on with our podcast. Right Club Nation, welcome back to another awesome podcast. I'm Sarah Lardy. I'm here with my co-host, the wonderful, the only, Laurel Simmons. Hello, how are you? Hey, Sarah. I'm having a great day. What about you? It's uh, it's really good. Countdown is on. By the time you guys hear this, though, I will be retired from the J-O-B world, the corporate world. That's not to say I'm retired from everything, but I get 40 hours a week of my life back to apply to things that I truly want to do and spend more time with uh, with family and friends. And I think, and... Sarah, it's more than 40 hours. Like, come on, be real. You spent way more than 40 hours of that job. <laughs> you know, at first job, it was good. I had a great team. I'm going to miss everyone for sure, but I'm so happy. Like, the reason I did real estate to begin with and the reason that I really wanted to create that wealth to begin with was so that I could have the freedom. So I'm excited. Of course, we're going to be doing some more stuff with the right club. You know, that's not going anywhere. We're going to be ramping up that stuff. I'll just have more time to work on the right club. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, that's great. What's new with you, Laurel? Well, hey, we just got back from, Danielle and I just got back from a, a week away, almost a week away. It was our 17th wedding anniversary. Nice. So a little bit of time and um, we're recording this now at the end of September and it was one of those perfect September weeks, you know, where the temperatures were fabulous and the sky was blue and we even got to the beach. I mean, I, I hadn't been to the beach all summer and I said, oh my goodness, this is the best beach day of the summer that's not in the summer. It was a fabulous. It was just fabulous. Amazing. I've got some renters at my cottage right now. I'm a little bit jealous of the weather they got because I'm going next weekend and apparently it's going to be like way colder. So yes yeah I will. but you know it is what it is and uh i'm excited for today's podcast with sandy mckay sandy's got 200 plus doors he's scaled his business over the last eight years super awesome he's also the host of another really popular canadian podcast breakthrough real estate investing and he's a realtor and just a husband and many more things so i'm super excited about that and Laurel, one of the things that, about the Right Club, though, guys, um, that Laurel and I just want to mention is just um, make sure that you check us out online. What's what's online these days, Laurel? Hey, go go and check us out at www.therightclub.com. You can join for free. It's We have forums. We have podcasts. We have uh, all kinds of things to go in there. We have uh, uh, sponsors and people who, who are offering services. Um, there's all kinds of stuff. If you can make connections with people. And we're adding more and more and more all the time. So just go on to therightclub.com, sign up. It's it's totally free. We'd love to see you. We'll say hi. I guarantee you, if you get on there, 
join up. Sarah and I will say hi. Awesome. Well, let's uh, let's let's listen to our podcast. And guys, thank you for joining our Red Club Nation online. Thank you, Laurel, as well, for being a great co-host in this podcast. And thank you to Sandy for sharing his insights. Let's do it. Sandy, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks. So awesome. I'm excited to be here. Thanks, Sarah and Laurel, for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you on. I am a big fan of your podcast as well that you have with uh, with Rob. Prior to this, talking about your podcast and how you've had it for the longest time. But, you know, when I first started looking at real estate investing as a Canadian investor and looking for Canadian content, your stuff came up. So thank you for your education to me <laughs> early on in my real estate investing. Perfect. Yeah, that's what we did it for. So I'm excited that, uh, you know, I've had a lot of people that have obviously kind of said similar and... I don't know. We kind of pioneered that for a little bit. And then uh, obviously awesome to see others taking over and probably surpassing us in a lot of ways. So congrats and uh, awesome to see your success. Cool. Now, you are a very successful real estate investor. You're also a realtor. But for those that don't know who Sandy McKay is, give us a 30,000 foot view of what you do when it comes to real estate. Yeah. So we um, you know, obviously been a pretty active investor for about eight, nine years now. Um, before I got in as a realtor, I was in that world for, for a few years. Uh, I've done a whole bunch of stuff, creative wholesale type strategies to uh, fix and flip, joint ventures, uh, buy and hold, joint venture, multifamily. So a lot of different stuff in the investor world. Um, got into the realtor world about uh, be six, a little over six years ago now. So built up a team in that world. Uh, we do a lot of investment business. And then kind of transitioned into more typical residential as well as we built it up. Um, also have a few other businesses in that world with a construction team and a product management team. And then our like investor business that we do a lot of joint venture capital raising through. So yeah, over the years, done a lot of strategies. Um, have a lot of like partners around. And so a lot of complexities, I guess, in some ways. And somewhere around 200 units overall with uh, not all owned myself, but in some way, shape or form, ownership uh, with me being involved there. So. Yeah, that's where we're at now. And uh, really, a lot of that's been the last three, two, three years. We've kind of scaled that up a bit on the acquisition side. So, so we've so got a wide range have, of products. Yeah. Do you have a favorite strategy? I mean, is there something that you go back to over and over and over again? For sure, the bread and butter model is the joint ventures, buying multifamily, buy, renovate, refinance, and rent strategies. So for which I'm sure you've talked about a lot on the show. We've but done a lot of those. Strategy. <laughs> yeah, we've done a lot of those in the three and four unit range. That's kind of been the like ongoing buying one to two a month of those for a couple of years. And then we started adding on some bigger multifamily projects. Uh, but again, same strategy, just different, different scale, I guess, different, different size. So in eight years, you've built a portfolio of 200 plus properties. It sounds like you've got a lot of moving parts, a lot of JVs, a construction company, and now you're a realtor as well. Like, you know, do you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> I have a, one of the things I would say I'm pretty good at better than most people. And I'm not, I, I hate bragging, but I'm pretty good at the team building side of it in terms of like adding leverage and things like that. So I'm, I'm probably more naturally equipped to do that than most people. I, I don't really want to work 24 seven by any means. That said, we don't have any kids, Kate, my wife and I. So we've kind of maybe had a little extra time here and there than some people. Um, and so we have worked really hard over that. But to be honest, right now I'm probably, I don't work much more than, I guess I don't work. I guess I do. I think about it a lot, but I don't really work more than 50 hours a week, I'd say. It's not um, too bad. I, I spend a lot of my time on the realtor team side of it. Um, my wife, Kate, runs our property management team. Adrian, who I think you've had on the show, runs a lot of our investment business, uh, day-to-day at least. And then um, I have a partner in the construction side who runs that day-to-day. So 
it sounds like a lot, but really I'm just pretty leveraged with it and I don't necessarily spend a lot of time on every component there. You build your team, you delegate it and you find it you find somebody to be able to do it and then you kind of oversee. Is that yeah. roughly what yeah. you're doing? Yeah. So and I know Laurel has a question, but why did you choose to go from being a real estate investor to a realtor? Because um, I know I have I have that question a lot, right? People that want to get into investing, they're like, maybe I should get my realtor's license and do this. And there's pros and cons to both, but I'm curious what your reasoning behind it was. For sure, pros and cons to both. I didn't really understand until maybe a few years back where I kind of said I, I really gravitated more towards the realtor side of it. To be honest, the beginning, probably like most people, um, there was obviously advantages to on the financial, like just per deal acquisition side of it. Hey, I can keep some commission rather than giving it up all the time. Totally not why I stayed into it and, and grew with it more. Totally different reasons. Really, you know, and you could, I know you've probably talked about this too, is diving a little deeper on your why in life and why, what's important to you day to day. Why do you really, like, I kind of got a little, to be honest, a little bored on the investment side, like acquisition side. It's not really my favorite thing. Obviously, I see a huge value in doing it and value in terms of wealth building and everything. Out of all the things that we do that I've mentioned there, it's by far our biggest ROI on activities. I just fell in love with the realtor side a lot as I grew with it. And so as I started to get more into it, kind of more looking at it as a really overall business and, you know, getting, as we started to scale it a bit, getting more involved on real P&Ls and looking at margins and all the different components to it and leading people. It just got more exciting to see people really thrive for that, that side of it. And you can, I, you can see results really quick in this, in a sales business. It's one of the highest opportunity or opportunistic sales role in probably the world. Um, where you can go from making not too much to pretty quite a bit right away with the right guidance, the right support. So it was just exciting to see some people go through that transition. And obviously, they can, you know, as a realtor, being in that business, you can help people invest as well, pick up properties. So it can help them in that sense. But it just got exciting to see them grow and, and uh, become better people and business people in the, in the realtor side. So I kind of just got a little more excited about that. And I would say I still am, to be honest, today. It's just... Building our team and stuff's got a lot more of my attention these days versus the, I don't know, rinse and repeat. Maybe that's the millennial in me or something. Just rinsing and repeat the same strategy over and over. As much as the money was great and is great still, it's just kind of got a bit boring, to be honest. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, I want to tell you about this awesome new podcast, totally worth listening and subscribing to. It's called Real Time. It is a monthly podcast from the Canadian Real Estate Association, Korea, bringing realtors inspiring insights on all things Canadian real estate. Real Time is hosted by Canadian radio icon Aaron Davis and features a new industry expert every single month. Marketer Terry O'Reilly, for example, shares tips to help realtors build their brand using storytelling and emotional connections. Researcher and president of Real Trends, Steve Murray, talks about the foundational elements of real estate and how trust and communication are critical to a realtor's success. So listen and subscribe at crea.ca forward slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts for realtors. But even if you're not a realtor, definitely some great Canadian real estate content to listen to. So don't forget, listen and subscribe. And now back to the show. So do you, I know you, well, when, when you're a realtor, you're, you're going to, if someone comes along and wants to buy or sell a property, whatever it is, unless it's, it's extremely far out on, on the other fringes of stuff that we all you know, know about, you're probably going to look at it. But is there like a client, a, a particular client type that you'd like to work with or a particular type of project? So like we do do a lot of, like at least 50% and it used to be a, a higher number, but we used to 
we just didn't do as much of the normal residential stuff, but at least 50% of our business is investors. So, um, we do quite a bit of that. And so definitely as a realtor myself, day to day on the realtor type activities, the investor clients were always my favorite buying multiple properties a year. They're honestly the easiest in a sense with real in the realtor space because you can rinse and repeat the same as long as you can find the deals, which is another that's one challenge. But if you can find the deals and find the product, um, it's the kind of the easiest business because you can just do the same thing over and over again versus needing, you know, husband and wife and everyone wants something different, right? So um there's a little more emotion on that part of it, so maybe that's exciting for some people. But the investor business you can really ramp up pretty quick. Um and it's not as uh um there's not as many realtors in that space either. So it's a little more if you know what you're doing, which is why there's not as many in there, because not as many do know enough about it. But once you can get your niche honed in there, it's um a great piece of the business and it's fun helping people build wealth. Um, it creates a huge impact for their life, right? So it's exciting to see that as much as it's less emotional on the transactional. Well, I would think basis. that with, with, with investors, you're, you're not dealing with the, um, like you said, the emotional side of it. Like investors go in knowing the numbers, right? Cause that's why they're doing it. And if you're dealing with someone who's just buying the house that they absolutely have to live in because it's like their dream house and we've all, we've all dealt with, with that kind of person. You're dealing with a whole, it's just a whole, whoa, rack of other issues, right? Uh, and it's, it's very emotional. Whereas the investor is really, if they're good investors, they go, yeah, this works. No, it doesn't. I don't like that, but it doesn't matter whether I like it. It's not for me, right? You know, it shouldn't be emo- as emotional. It, to be honest, it's still emotional. They get all, not every time, but a lot of investors get emotional still as much as we tell oh, really? them not to. As much as we tell them not to. Well, how? <laughs> what, what do you mean when they get like emotional? Because I'm kind of surprised because, you know, we, my, my husband and I as investors, we go out and like, I don't care if I don't like whatever. I just like, yeah, it's not for me. It's for somebody else to, to live in. So what, when you say they get emotional, like, what do you mean? I mean, I would say on the, on the more, uh, the savvier you get as an investor, probably you get a little less emotional. Uh, but there's still moments there where you're like, for whatever reason that property is appealing and there's a lot of bidding wars right now, for example, you know, when you get in those scenarios and, you know, it, it's emotional to the sense of like, do we really want to spend another month looking for something again? Or like, is it worth just spending the extra five, 10, 20 grand, like a marginal amount to just get it? And then you get a little competitive probably. Um, and you get those juices running. A lot of investors tend to be a little bit competitive. And if their friends or if other people they know are picking up, you know, they just bought two properties last month and you haven't bought one in a while, you start to get a little competitive, I find. So there's lots of scenarios like that, maybe where it gets competitive and emotional. I mean, I think it's also a lot of newer investors, you know, like there's certain things that over time you don't care as much, but in the beginning you want the place to be maybe a little bit nicer or you want to like, you're not going to live in there, but you want to, I think that just that the criteria has changed over time. Like it's just like numbers and numbers and it's business and if the, you know, the, the fundamentals make sense, but it takes some time to get there. Right. I mean, well, that first, the novice ones too, for sure. The fine, you know, getting over that hump of you're not living there is a, is a big one. Like if they haven't, if they've only bought one or, or never bought any investment properties, there, there's always this, this part of them. I find almost always there's a part where they're, they're still seeing themselves there. And so getting them over that hump, which usually takes a, just a couple purchases, maybe. Yeah. And you get a little less removed. And then they just call you, hey, go look at this property. Let me know if I throw in an offer or not, right? So, like, at some point, yeah. as an investor, you have a good realtor that on your side. And, I mean, I don't personally look at properties anymore. Like, this is, like if I see something, I, I'll send my, my realtor to go and take a look at it before 
you know, I bother doing it. And then most of the time I'll just put in an offer and see what happens. I mean, that's the best, right? That's the best for you and you as a client and, uh, and us as realtors. It's, it's more effective use of our time too. So it's Don't do it on your first one though. I mean, I, I would like it. This is something that I would recommend as you get comfortable over time and just keep in mind, you've got to have, you know, a backup plan. And, and most of the time, like I'll do it like conditional or inspection or something. I, I want to take, I want to pivot a bit and go back to you scaling up to 200 plus properties. Is it properties or doors? Doors, doors. doors. As much as I like to say properties, no, it's not bad. <laughs> so, it's like 50 to 60 properties. Give or take, all right. So that's range. still, that's still incredible, right? So, so scaling that in, you know, your eight or so plus years is amazing, first and foremost. So congratulations on that. So what are some things that you've learned along the way? Because I'm sure there's lots of things that go wrong. There's lots of mistakes that are made. Can you share something to the Right Club Nation on how somebody can go about doing what you did and some of the best insights that maybe you learned from it? Biggest thing in the scaling side, because we started getting, like a lot of people do, I would say on um, money started to get a lot easier to find for us. Like, you know, at the start, you're trying to scramble to find that one partner that's going to help you on your, either you don't have the money or you don't have the qualifications, right? That's usually why you'd, you'd go start to find JVs. For the most part, we start, we start, we JV'd our second property ever and we didn't have money for it. So I don't know if we would have qualified or not thinking back. Maybe we would have, but we wouldn't have, we didn't have the funds. And our first project we ever did was like, you know, scrounging up every dollar and cent and, and credit card money, everything here to just to make it happen. Um, and we kind of did an accidental burn on that too. And, uh, and it worked out well, but there was some renovation money that was tough to come by. So. We started looking for money pretty much because we needed it. And also we just, we had heard about that strategy and it just made so much sense. And so I think one of the biggest things though, that we learned now at this point is just the importance of who you're investing with and, and what that relationship looks like. Just that they have money, just that they have qualifications, that there's got to be a more, something more important than that. And it's just the overall partnership, right? You're getting into business together for probably a long time if you're having a, you know, a buy and hold type strategy at the end of it. So, you know, we have, you know, partners that have been in business with for seven, eight years now. And we've had some along the way that we absolutely would never do a deal with again and really wish I would, would have never done a deal with them. So, you know, we were very, um, way too open on who we were going to partner with because, you know, like we had a few years into that, we started getting people coming to us right? and it's just attractive to go down that road because they're, it's a lot of money they're giving you. Right. And it's a lot of leverage, I guess we're still doing all the work, but even now at our point, cause we have, so much leverage on the on that part so we're like we need to find the deal but then we have a great construction crew that we just they they're doing the same thing over and over again so we don't even need to have a lot of time spent on that part of it we don't need to spend much like day to day on the property management because we have a good team there doing that all so it became pretty easy to just accept money worst move ever is to just accept money from people that's you know meet them once and say yeah it sounds good let's go But yeah. like everyone else, we were getting a little competitive and it sounded good to just be buying deals all the time. And yeah, there was a few in there that we just totally would not want to work with again. And, and it really came down to like the communication styles and, and things like that and, and boundaries and, and really just expectations, right? And we didn't have a, we didn't set very clear expectations in terms of who's doing what day to day or longer term day to day. What does this whole relationship look like? Like when do you want updates? When are we giving up money? All that sort of thing. That would be probably my biggest aha over time. And I knew that already, and I had ten, tons of people tell me that. Still was too tempting to, to not go forward. So listen to others' advice would probably be another good one there. Listen to people that have been there before you and, and taking their experiences and really, really, really thinking about them a little, little, little further before you act on them. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. 
Hey, Right Club Nation, we want to take a quick break from the podcast to introduce you to a longtime supporter of the Right Club and many members of the Right Club Nation, Mr. Dylan Suter of Elevation Realty. Dylan, take it away. Thank you so much for this opportunity. We, as Elevation Realty, are the sponsor for the real estate slot at the Right Club, and we have been attending since the second Right Club. We are an investment-focused, high-volume real estate team serving the Golden Horseshoe from Oakville down to Niagara. If you are looking to increase your cash flows or you want to find an incredible opportunity, we deal with builders, we deal with off-market opportunities, as well as we are very creative and negotiate the best deal for even on-market opportunities. We've helped a number of clients with the right club, find flips, single-family rentals, duplex conversions, three- and four-unit renovations, all the way up to large residential buildings with high cash flow. A little bit about myself, if you haven't heard, personally, I've scaled over 300 doors in the last two years, which has given me a ton of experience in analyzing all the deals that may come across my desk for you. So if you're interested in learning more, please reach out to us at 905-592-4220, or you can email us at admin at elevationrealty.ca, that is admin at E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, and let's sit down and create your investment dream portfolio. Guys, and I have to say, I stand behind Elevation and Dylan. They found me. My last few properties have done an amazing job. 100% recommend them. So thank you for all your hard work. Now, back to the podcast. And now, back to the show. I guess that was going to be my next question, although I think they already partly answered it, was who is, who is the best or the, who's the, the best fit? in terms of a, someone in a joint venture with you. And um, so you said some, like you, you, managing expectations. So you want to know, I guess you want to know what their expectations are and you have to lay your expectations out on the table, right? What else, what else are you looking for in a, in a really good partner when you go into something like that? Yeah, I think that comes down to, yeah, knowing their expectations and um, really knowing what ours are because and our standards and everything, right? We didn't probably dive deep enough on that for ourselves enough. And, um, and if you go deeper on yourself with that, you, you understand now what your expectations are going to set out there to the world. So, you know, for us, our perfect partners, just they're, they're really busy in something else. They're not staying at home doing nothing because often those are the people that start asking a lot more questions down the road and are a lot more time, time to manage them from a like client care type of a perspective. So mm-hmm. really busy people that are uh, in busy professions. It doesn't always have to be that, but they're, they're great because then they are obviously busy doing other stuff and they just want to get a better return than they're getting elsewhere. So someone who's got, uh, you know, less time to spend on, on this type of thing sees the value in it, knows that real estate's a great thing. And there's just someone that ultimately like, they're usually not as one thing I found is the tough people to deal with for me. This isn't necessarily for everyone, but for me and us, it's kind of the really, um, uh, like, uh, engineers and accountants type of people where they're very numbers driven, really want to know every little detail. That doesn't mean that that's not the right person for other people. I find a lot of times for us, we're, I'm not the best at giving details. Like I, I, in the meetings or anything, and we start going too heavy duty on details, I'm going to lose it a little bit. So that's more just a personal one, but I think that might resonate for a lot of people is, uh, it's a little easier to manage people that maybe don't need to know every detail. Not that we're hiding stuff. It's just easier to move faster and, and it, move on. It, it. it makes sense, right? If you're not analytical and they're very analytical, how you mm-hmm. communicate your thoughts into you know them understanding is going to to clash i can totally see that and the other thing you mentioned i think is important to to also first of all i will say you don't always have to jv if you can do it by yourself feel free to start by yourself that's how i said it as well 
So there's JV partners that are active and then there's JV partners that are passive. You know, the other thing that I can, I can think of, so you're very active in the business. You're likely going to be the active partner. You likely always work. And then so you're looking for somebody to bring you the financing and the money and essentially be more passive and just get a better return on the money. But I'll tell you, it's important to understand who is who and, and lay out those expectations because if all of a sudden you've got somebody that's supposed to be passive, but is picking out all of the reno materials and everything like that, that can go, you know, south pretty quickly if you've got two active people, but one was not supposed to be as active. Yeah. And I'll tell you one, one other thing there that we've, that we've tweaked now over time that we were doing at the start was just like giving them too much information. Like we would give them, we'd expect they wanted to know a lot of things and. They always can if they want to know, but we would just over communicate it in some ways too much. Like over communicate is often good, but we would do it too much where they started asking so many things that it's really irrelevant. Like, does it really matter for our perfect partner? At least does it really matter what that those flooring type we're using? None of that renovation stuff, it, it matters. It, what matters is getting them a good return and making it easy for them. That's really what we want to have. We want people with those uh, expectations and those uh, demands, I guess, and going down and detailed on the specific renovation things we're doing. You know, we've had some people where we've had, uh, you know, we've told them, look, you can come learn from us, shadow us, because maybe you want to do it yourself down the road. And we're still open to that to this point, but it's got to be really the right person there. We really don't have the time or don't want to spend the time really going too deep on that stuff because we have our systems already in play with that, right? And that's what they're buying into. So to question those just is kind of kind of silly. It's kind of eliminating our value, right? Right. And I'm sure you've got it still a, you know, a long list of things that you go through. So if somebody does approach you, I'm guessing that's how it's going to happen right now. You know, you're pretty out there in the public. So people approach you, you're likely not having to go and, and find, you know, in my opinion, but you can correct me if I'm wrong, but people to lend you money and finance and they, they likely will be approaching you. But what are some of the things that you, you do? Okay. So now they, they reach out to you and they say, I'm interested in venturing with you. Do you meet them? Do you have a phone conversation? Do you do a letter of intent? Like, how do you go about that? Yeah, usually we have, uh, usually a phone conversation now, especially, um, 2020, a lot of this year has been a lot of phone conversations, which has been nice in some ways, but usually they end up in our office in some way. Sitting down, we usually might take them out to see a project or two that we have ongoing just so they get a feel for what we're doing. And then we deal, so we do still reach out for, for, um, partners, by the way, um, not as much as we would normally, but a lot of those come through referrals from other partners. Um, so we don't necessarily reach out cold to people like we have in the past, but. But yeah, we would take them in, they'd come meet with us in our office after maybe an initial phone kind of qualification process to see if it's a potential fit, come meet, to talk about it. Usually it's really one good meeting, you know, it might be an hour or so going through all the details. They're going to want to know some, you know, probably some questions, typical ones, you know, the process all looks like, give an overview. A lot of times it's why am I bringing all the money? And that still comes up quite a bit, as I'm sure it does with almost everyone. You know, what are you actually getting paid on? What parts of this are you are you getting paid directly on? Maybe outside of this, because we have all the different companies. They're often asking, you know, where we're really making our money. Uh, then we go show them a property or two, get a feel for it. And then ultimately, um, to kind of engage and get the process going, we do do a letter of intent. It's usually 5000 bucks as a refundable deposit that we will put towards the deal. Or we'll refund it back to them over um, after six months. So if we don't find anything in six months, refund it back. And if we do, obviously we'll put that into the deal. So that's our process to kind of get it going. Once you find something, you know, we'll reach out, say, hey, we got something ready to go. Here's the details, whatever questions they have at that point, obviously. And then are we going to proceed or not? And then uh, then we get kind of into the whole deal. I don't know if we can go deeper on that if you want, but that's kind of the, the launching phase at least. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. And I like that you mentioned, too, that you take the $5,000 that's refundable, but it definitely shows that they're not just, you know, talking about it, but they're they're willing to commit something to it, right? And I think that's the, the important piece as well, because you could be doing all of this work and figuring out what the JVs need, and then all of a sudden you have the perfect deal for them. And they're like, oh, well, you know what? I'm actually not interested anymore, right? So, like, how do you keep them... You know, maybe it's four or five, six months later. Like, how do you keep them still engaged other than the, I think the $5,000 piece that's refundable, I think is really smart. Anything else that you do? Uh, and we've had that scenario happen. That's why we've, we've put that into place. We've had that scenario happen <laughs> on a deal closing like a week from today and they're bailing on it. And so anything to avoid those type of scenarios, those obviously put us in a rough spot. So we got, we wanted to avoid those, which is why we've inputted that, uh, that 5,000, which is really not a big amount of money at the end of the day. A lot of our, most of our partners, like our initial qualification from a money standpoint is they need 300000 to fit into it, which gets you your typical triplex, fourplex in, in a Hamilton area project, plus the renovation costs, or at least the vast majority of the renovation costs, depending on the deal. So we uh, that's part of the expectations we set now, which is that we are not going to fault them all the time about every little deal that comes up. Um, usually it's, hey, we're ready to go here. This is a good one. Let's do it. So we often, that's part of the expectation we set there is that, hey, we're not going to call you about every deal. Don't be alarmed if you, you'll probably hear from us anyways, like, hey, just don't, just let you know we're still looking. But you're probably not going to hear from us every week because five more triplexes got listed this week and that's what we're looking for. You'll probably hear us from us within a month, like six months is a really long time. We're always going to find something before that unless we're looking for bigger stuff. But uh for that typical bread and butter type deal we do, we're going to find something within two months at most usually. And so in that time, they're only, if we're calling them about, Hey, this is the property we should look at. It's because we're buying it. Like it's not a, it's not very many that we're not going to go through. Um, unless something's totally changed on their end, we're, we're typically finding the deal and just going at it at that point. Uh, we don't want to waste people's time. We don't waste anyone, our time or their time. So it's not really worth it a lot to us unless they really, really have a different expectation and they want to learn a lot more, which. Is not our perfect person, so it's not very often we're doing that. But that time to time, that might be the scenario too. So, a couple of scenarios there, I guess. But yeah, you're not hearing from us until you get the deal, really. So you said earlier that you started really like bread and butter was the three to four you know unit property, and that you're scaling up to what eight, ten? Like, what are you scaling up to, and why did you go there? Well. So yeah, we have, so this year, for example, we've done a 11 unit that just closed on recently, uh, with a 15 units. Um, we're hopefully buying a 58 unit right now. It's, it's in the mix. Uh, and we've had it locked up for a while and now we're just renegotiating some things on it. So we'll see if that comes through or not. Those ones kind of a lot more things to work out there. So scaling up in terms of size, but the real main reason is it's just, it's a lot easier on financing side of it. I find, you know, we can qualify for those. So it's not another thing to expect from a partner. I find the management side is a lot easier long term. You know, we have our company being in place there, especially the management part is a lot easier for that. And it's, it's so much easier to just acquire a big chunk at once versus over time, more and more partners, maybe more and more, more and more things to manage on the long term. Whereas if the right opportunity comes up and they're harder to come by, that's why, you know, we're still doing the smaller ones too. It's harder to come by the big, you know, 58 unit, maybe if you can find one of those a year, that's pretty good. Um, you're probably not finding one of those every year. So, you know, coming across those deals that are tougher. So as, as much as we like them better, and I think they're just easier from the financing side, they're less maintenance and everything long-term, less management costs overall, you know, one or two boilers maybe versus kind of 16 units across four properties. You got four different 
everything, right? Or versus maybe just one in that type of a building. So all those reasons we've kind of targeted those as probably our bigger picture. They're, they're attractive to us. But then we still, you know, because we have more of a, we really look at these as businesses and they're not just like, we're not just buying these investment properties. And that's it. We have a few more things at play. We do like to have the steady flow of, you know, the three, four unit type properties because it keeps everything rolling. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're a realtor and an investor. So where do you find these properties? Are they on market, pocket listings, off market? Are you going and buying stuff from wholesalers? Like how does that all work? Because you're, you're you know, you're pretty well connected to, to every part of the industry. Yeah, we are, obviously we, um, everywhere really. But of course, you know, I, and I always reference like 2017 spring, which is really, really hot in our area in most areas. One of the hottest times ever. As, as we bought a lot of properties on, on market that year in the spring, paying a hundred thousand over asking, you know, on a $500,000 purchase. And so we, we buy a lot off market. A lot of our clients buy a lot off market too. So it's always a balancing act, you know, how much, you know, we can't buy everything. We find a lot more than we can buy. So that's a good thing. We have enough to go around, but at the same time, you know, a great opportunity comes up or who's clients always ask that, right? Are, you, are we giving, are we buying that or are we giving that to our, client who's buying it for themselves, not partnering, but buying it just as a realtor client, right? That's always a balancing act there. So we do our best to kind of work it around to everyone. But we buy a lot on market ourselves because we give a lot of our off-market stuff away to clients that aren't partnering with us. So that said, I I I would I don't really care personally where we buy them from. If the deal's a deal. Uh buying for a hundred thousand dollar over asking. I think we bought like seven or eight in that spring. We bought like that was last year or two maybe we've that was by far our most active period. And it was just because there was quite a bit of inventory at the time. And um, we kind of, at the time, it felt like we were going crazy buying a lot because it was more than we were before. I would, I'm totally glad we bought every property because we wouldn't have had them in our portfolio now and wouldn't have had the, the growth from it that we have. So, you know, we buy it from anywhere. It doesn't really matter to us. I'd rather be active than be waiting, sitting on the sidelines forever. So wherever the deals come from, we're open to everything. And all those, all those places you mentioned, we've bought from before and we'll continually look within to find them. Do you have a specific area? Like, are you focusing in the Hamilton area or GTA West or East or Niagara or Northern Ontario or I don't know, outside of this? Is there some area that you'd like to look at? Definitely we became activists in Hamilton where we spent a lot of our time over the years. Right now, uh, we have properties in Oshawa, Barrie, uh, Vaughn, only because we used to live there, and uh, Hamilton. We are looking at other areas. Hamilton is still, I would still say it's my favorite place in southern Ontario, southwestern Ontario, probably partially because we know it really well. But then beyond that, you know, it's got great inventory, um, There's for, especially for those three, four unit properties that we do a lot of, there's great inventory for it comparatively because um, it's that right size of a city and it's the right price point. But then we're looking at some other areas because we look because we're looking at a lot of these bigger properties now. You know, Hamilton's got decent inventory, but it doesn't have enough inventory to get really active on that side of it. So we're kind of needing to be a little flexible. Um, we started looking a little more in Niagara region, um, Brantford, Kishore, London, Windsor. I would love to get more active in Ottawa, but we're not there yet. I think Ottawa's got great potential just because it's got the right, like it's got a good inventory. It's got the kind of the right population size, yet it's not a Toronto price point city. So those are some areas we're into or looking to get into uh, that we like. As you get into the bigger units, uh, bigger number of units, are you finding that you are starting now to run into more institutional investors in terms of competition? Or is that, are you not quite in that league yet? Because we all know that like some of the teachers, federations, and like, there are big pension funds out there, right? That buy up these, these apartment buildings all over the place. And 
Um, are you running into any of that? I think a little bit in Hamilton, there's a little bit of that. We haven't hear, hit that at a huge level. Probably if we're buying or looking at more like these 58 type unit properties, so probably you're going to find out more. We haven't found that because we haven't really, we're necessarily looking for that. It just kind of came across us and we were intrigued by it. The 8 to 20 unit in that range, I'd say there's definitely less of that and maybe not even that many at all. So we haven't not a whole lot, but a little bit here and there. You're noticing more of them, especially you know in Hamilton. I find if you find a lot of the older landlords who are, They've had their properties forever and they're not like an institutional type investor themselves. They're probably not going to be attracting that type of buyer. So we're not dealing with those. And those are usually our sellers because, you know, they're sick and tired of dealing with it. And there's some motivation there versus just the institutional type landlord who maybe, maybe has motivation, but maybe they're just more than happy to sit on it and, and not let it go for a price that makes any sense. Right. And those those guys that are 70 or 80 and that are getting tired are potentially open to VTV as well, which could work in your favor, right? So very cool. So Sandy, the next part of our podcast is our lightning round. So we're going to ask you four questions. Roel and I will take turns and give us the first answer that comes to mind. Are you ready? Ready. Let's go. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Butler Mortgages, Canada's number one mortgage brokerage three years in a row. If you need a great mortgage broker to help you with investing in real estate or to help you purchase your next home, reach out to Daniel Patton and Michael Zanzini from Butler Mortgages. You can do that by calling 905-569-8326 or toll free at one 888 and check out their website, butlermortgages.com, or by email, daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com, or michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. All right, question number one. What is the best advice that you have ever received from another investor or at a networking event? The best advice for sure is to really dive deep on what you uh you really want out of life first before you go down any strategy or any sort of you know you know come up with the end first and and go back from there versus just going for the shiny object so start with the end in mind is really what you're saying figure out what you want and go for it (laughs) okay number two what is your favorite resource for real estate investing whether it's book training person event what is it um, hmm. used to be podcasts for sure on iTunes. I still, those are still great, obviously. Uh, ah, that's still the best. That's still the best. Anywhere, any sort of podcast you can find online. There's some great, um, you know, video versions of that too now. YouTube's obviously great. Um, mostly digital, mostly digital stuff. I, I read a lot of Audible books, so I would have to throw that in there too. Um, Audible is really easy to listen to when you're traveling or going around day to day, so. Um, anywhere, anywhere you can find great con- content, digital world is probably the best right now. So, yep, absolutely awesome. Question number three: What is the one attribute that has made you most successful, in your opinion? Um, about a mindset and not not trying to get a hundred percent of everything or a hundred percent of very little, but being open to sharing and growing others to help. You know, I would say that, but growing others and focusing on others versus everything I'm going to get out of it but focused on helping others get their piece of the pie, whatever that might look like. And uh, it all comes back to you at the end, as long as you do that. Yeah, you're absolutely right on that one. So number four, what do you typically do on a Sunday morning? Sunday mornings changed a lot for me. I used to do a lot of, uh, I used to be doing real estate activities um, right now. Um, definitely not real estate. I've taken Sundays off almost, almost most Sundays. So 
I would say hanging around the house, doing some stuff at home. If I'm lucky and it's a really good Sunday, probably going to get a golf round in. All right, awesome. Sandy, where can the Right Club Nation or listeners reach out if they wanted to know and learn more about you? Uh, a lot of ways. I mean, you can find me on social media, Paramount, if you just look me up or Google me that way. If you want to reach out directly, uh, I can throw my phone number and, and emails out there, 416-567-3866 or sandy at mckayrealtynetwork.com. Amazing. Any final last words of advice for the Right Club Nation? Um, I mean, obviously, you got to take action. All these things are great and great, great to think about and learn about, but you got to take action. So, um, you know, stop wasting your time listening to all this stuff and go take some action with it and uh, and continually grow. You'll learn more as you go through action taking than just sitting here listening all the time. So you got to got to implement this stuff. Definitely take action. And the faster you do that, the more successful it'll be. Awesome. Go take action. Learn, and you're, you guys are doing the right thing by learning, but now apply that learning into actual concrete steps. And uh, Sandy, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you on. Thanks for all your insights. This is fun. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Sandy. Bye. So Sarah, wow. Like he's, Sandy's just amazing, isn't he? He's got so much energy and he's, he's done, so, he's got like so many properties and doors and, and just to listen to him about, like, he's going from the, the sort of three and four units up to what, a 58 unit, unit, um, property. That's, that's a big deal. I think there's a lot of learning in there. And I know we could have like talked in for an hour and not even, come below beneath the surface about that like there's a lot of stuff that goes on with that kind of stuff yeah absolutely i mean we talked a little bit about the realtor stuff and the jv stuff but we could have been talking to him about burring the multis we could have been talking to him about so many other things but it was really interesting i will say one takeaway that i may apply myself is as i'm going into the jv world now that i will not um, be employed anymore i have a little bit more time and i want to focus a little bit on that but it is really smart that he mentioned to do the letter of intent and then at least have a refundable deposit so that it shows a little bit of commitment from the other person, right? Because it's, yeah. it, it is tough to find that deal and go out and hustle because it's not like they're just sitting there waiting for people to buy them. They do require some work to find the right deal. And sometimes it takes months to find the right deal. And I think we've all been in, in situations where, I know, and certainly Danielle and I have, where um, we've, had, we've had an investor back out at the last minute it's not fun. It really isn't. You know, it, it is a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. So for him to have that, just, you know, put them, put your money on the line. And, and it really does kind of seal the deal in a sense. People are committed then if they're doing that. They're serious. Yeah, absolutely. And guys, if you enjoyed today's podcast, feel free to leave a rating, a review on Apple's podcasts or wherever else you guys are listening to this or YouTube. We are now on YouTube. So if you want to watch us, you can do so on there. And thank you as well, Right Club Nation, for tuning in and staying engaged and reaching out to us. Your emails are always appreciated if you have any questions or feel free to also check out our calendar of events. You can join some free webinars. We're doing two webinars a month. They're, they're right now at this point in time, they're free. Go join, go learn about different strategies or learn from some of our experts, right partners. Lots of great things happening. Absolutely. And, and if you have a few moments, um, go and give us a rating, uh, for our podcast. Cause the more, the more you, you give us a positive rating, the more we'll, we'll be in front of other people. And, you know, one of our goals is just to help people learn about investing, real estate investing and get out there and do it. Awesome. Get out there, take action, right club nation. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for listening to the Right Club podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.